Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. Hi, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Annie, aka I used to be Sam, and uh, I was adopted in the late 80s. Um, I am of Puerto Rican descent and grew up in Boston with a white family. Can you tell me and the listeners a little bit more about your adoption story? Yeah, sure. Um, So as I said, I was adopted in the late 80s in Boston through Catholic Charities, which Mm -hmm. I am told at the time was like a big uh, adoption agency. Um, I also have a brother who's adopted, uh, who's also of Puerto Rican descent, but we're from different biological families. Um, So it was the two of us. Um, It's kind of a weird family constellation, but I also have a half-sister who's my adopted father's biological child, who's 10 years younger than me as well. Um, Yeah, I grew up with a a spunky Irish woman (laughs) in Boston for the most part. Um, Yeah, I always knew that I was adopted. Um, It's also extremely Mm -hmm. clear when you have a family of Dolans. (laughs) And then my brother and myself, it was it's not something that could ever be um, hid, you know? So it was it was always clear that we were adopted, um, but I don't think it was necessarily the most uh, welcomed subject in the house, if I can say that. Not yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, so not like don't talk about it, but more um, like, I read a lot of books. Everybody always puts their birth parents on a pedestal, you know, like you're probably doing that too. Don't get pregnant. That was kind of like how, <laughs> I would say that's kind of how, the majority of the adoption uh, conversations happened. Um, yeah. I feel like back then a lot of things were just hush hush. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just like for people I knew, like even just about race, it's just like, oh, it's there, but let's not acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah, I think absolutely. I also think, I mean, now there's language that didn't exist back then. Yeah. There's, I mean, adoptees advocating for themselves. There's people like you creating space for us, which is, amazing um and I think back then like what the the, like liberal mindset was we don't see color and all these other super problematic you know ways of moving through the world um a little bit of white savior complex uh, Mm -hmm. you know you know the use (laughs) yes yes, I do know um I think it's amazing uh like you mentioned like more people are talking about adoption especially adoptees and I feel like um just the mass movement now from all of us is just slowly picking up energy as we go and so we're all creating all these different types of projects we're working together and it's creating this like beautiful thing where we're able to sit down and have conversations like this that we weren't able to have with our parents and I just think it's beautiful because then sometimes our parents can listen in and then can be encouraged to take that step with us um Which brings me to a project that you are working on currently. So can you please share that with us? Because we don't want to know all of the details. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Um, So I am a singer and a composer. I've been working under the name Annie Goodchild for 
um, the last like 10, 15 years or something. Um, and I, I like reached certain levels of success. I enjoyed doing that. I still like play gigs under the name Annie Goodchild um, here in Switzerland, where I live, even though I'm from the East Coast. Of the <laughs> um, it's a different story. Um, and I was feeling, I think probably like a lot of people and a lot of adoptees, a lot of transracial adoptees, super ungrounded um, and almost kind of like a sense of being a fraud or I wasn't, um, I, I, I felt like I didn't know how to create truly authentically because I, I think mm -hmm. I just didn't have that foundation. Um, and I was going to all these writing sessions, which is where a singer or songwriter goes to a studio they walk in a total stranger as a producer, usually a white man, because the music industry slash every industry. And um, you have to go and just create a song like from nothing in one afternoon or one day. And I was on like day five of in a row of these sessions, and I was feeling really depleted and really drained and really um, like not seen and not heard. And that, I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. This is, yeah. this isn't, it's not healthy, you know? And so I walked into my final session and the producer was a queer woman of color. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think because I was so like physically tired, some walls that are normally up weren't up. And I started talking to her about my recent uh, experience taking a ancestry DNA test. And yeah, um, yeah which was a, when those videos started coming out on YouTube of like, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this could maybe, maybe be a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had ended up taking a, a ancestry DNA test and it was like a year later, I was checking kind of, you know, every month or so. Um, and then there was a first cousin match, uh, which was insane. It still doesn't yeah. quite feel real. This was mm -hmm. maybe like two years ago now. Um, was it? I don't know. I'm not whatever, whatever the timeline was. Sorry, <laughs> this is a really roundabout way to tell you about this project. <laughs> no, no problem. We'd love to hear the details. I always love okay. hearing adoption stories. And I found family through 23andMe. So I'm always okay. interested in this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so uh, I it was a nephew on my birth mother's side of the family. And um, he talked to his sister, my cousin, and she kind of had all of this information. They all knew about me. And there was this whole backstory about how wow. my birth mother and her sister, their mother, um, were pregnant like within days of each other. And they were going to give birth within days of each other. Um, and my birth mother eventually wanted to give me up for adoption. And the fail it became it became like a huge rift in the family basically because they're like keep the baby in the family we'll raise her you know so they all yeah. knew i was this like cousin that was maybe going to be raised as their sister and i mean i knew none of i was like what, <laughs> what? yeah you know i That's thought probably nobody knew about me yeah um and so they reached out to her and uh it turns out she's married to i yeah. from the information i've gathered a racist republican prison guard um which is like my worst nightmare yeah. <laughs> like whoa that's just what a bundle um and there was a a re-rejection with very aggressive wording and a threat of violence if i ever showed up on a doorstep or like contacted their kids my half siblings um and that so i was telling her about this kind of the producer about the 
re-rejection of my birth mother, it felt like, and it was still really new at the time. Um, and how that, could, it really fucked me up and it, in kind of waves and in ways that I didn't expect and it would come up at times I wouldn't expect, you know, different things would be triggering. Um, and excuse me, and I looked up and the producer was just like crying her eyes out. And it was just really like, oh, wow, this is this is my story. I cannot be a fraud in this because this is my my life. It's my experience. And this was really like an aha moment for me. And the name I used to be Sam. Sam was my birth name. Um, kind of just clicked and came to me. And I was like, this is this is the music I need to be making. These are the stories I need to be telling. And like if I could take the transracial adoption experience, this non-relationship with my birth mother and like put it into sound through my sound what what is it going to be and that's how i started writing these songs and making this ep that's beautiful and i know you shared a little bit with me before and i was i was just like blown away because i'm like wow one you're so talented and two um it's just i feel like something like this hasn't quite been done before because i've seen like art exhibits but i haven't really seen like music videos there's like youtube videos of people Mm -hmm. talking having conversations or social experience experiments but nothing in like a music video type of way um what are some challenges that you found um by creating this project I think so. I also have never heard of. If they're out there, people, let us know. I I want to consume. Um, but I had also never heard of any sort of musical musical project in relation to adoption before. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the challenge is there's no, there's nothing to like draw from or learn from or educate myself yeah. with. So I'm kind of you know grasping <laughs> at air a little bit. Um, yeah, so that that's been a challenge. Another challenge has been just like the emotional process of this. I've written, you know, like vulnerable love songs before and talked about other traumas and things in my life, but I have never I I I not only have I never uh written songs about adoption, it never occurred to me to write songs about adoption before, yeah. which I find is bizarre. <laughs> but I think it was that like emotional block that was there. You know, I just I I just I wasn't capable of it until now. And so yeah, the 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 triggers that come up. I I'm having to navigate um my own emotions in a different way and also be able to remove remove myself enough to like productively create this body of work, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so that's been a really interesting balance for me. I know exactly what you mean. Um, right now I'm working on my memoir <laughs> and I've worked, uh, like I already wrote my book on adoption, uh, what white parents should know about transracial adoption. And that was just like intense because I did a lot of research and then just seeing all these statistics and all the history and the ins and outs of everything. It's just like, wow, all this stuff happened, but nobody's mm-hmm. talking about it. And then oh, yeah. now like digging into my memoir, I'm just like, you have to get to that headspace and where there are a lot of like trauma that we've had to deal with and just putting that out there for other people you don't know how people are going to react and generally the way adoptees are received (laughs) is not always pleasant and that that can be a hurdle yeah absolutely absolutely Are, are you close with your adoptive parents at all um i think probably as it is for a lot of people that's a complicated yeah question 
Um, I think they would say yes. And I don't want to, I don't want to say no. I, I, they loved me. It was always verbalized that I was loved mm -hmm. and wanted by them. So I, I also feel like I'm very new at navigating, um, the guilt I feel about acknowledging these traumas happened, you made mistakes, whether the material wasn't available to you or not. Yes. These things happen mm -hmm. versus me trying to uh, like protect their feelings. So I feel really, uh, yeah, really, really green. Yes. In, in that. So am I close to them? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, not close to them. It's like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love them. I love them. They love me. I live an ocean away. Um, you know. Yeah. yeah, relationships are complicated. And I think you bring up like a good point that a lot of adoptees have to face right now, especially as we're a lot of us are coming of age and like more new material is getting uh, out there so we can have the vocabulary to express these things with our families. And some of us can, some of us can't, and some of us just choose not to, and that's fine. Um, but I, I think just acknowledging that and hearing someone else say that, that can help a loads of people figure out where they are because, um, it took a long time for me to be comfortable talking about adoption with my parents. And yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that anyways. I'm just curious <laughs> what, when you like started writing and publishing, what, what was the, what were those talks like? How did that go? Uh, um, I'm going to say that my road with my parents has not been easy. A lot of anger, um, a lot of depression and um it was for both sides like my parents struggled I struggled and um looking back now after many years I can be like oh I I can get why they did that they weren't educated and then like adoption agencies even now there's little to no follow-up with adoptive families and that's a big problem but I could talk about that for hours but anyway so um with my parents I I took a long time to to myself. Um, I was in college at the time. I was able to to take space because we were like eight hours away from each other, and um, I needed lots of counseling, as you can imagine, after something like that happens. And then um, I had my first child. Um, now it's five years ago. That feels like forever now. <laughs> um, and. At that time, uh, mm -hmm. it brought up a lot of emotions about being an adoptee that, like, I knew it was going to be a little weird because, yeah, like, thinking about my birth mother and how she had me and then placed me for adoption. Um, but going through it was so mm -hmm. different and it was just so personal. And I just found myself, like, try trying to understand my adoptive mother a lot more because I could see like the need in me for wanting a baby for wanting a child with my blood and who looked like me like that was such a big factor too and yeah. I could understand why my mother really really wanted a baby and just that time having my kids um it allowed my parents back into my life a lot more and just seeing oh, yeah. how much they've changed from when I was a kid to oh, yeah. just how they treated my own children. Um, I just saw something there that I felt was worth saving. And so I felt like I had to do more healing just for me. So I just started as a blog writer and then slowly got dipped yep. my toes in the water about sharing my story. And the first time mm -hmm. I really, I really told it, 
raw. Like I, I wrote for a HuffPo piece about finding out I was adopted. And I, I knew I had to be not unbiased because obviously it's my story, but I didn't want to, to make my parents come out as a villain. I just wanted to tell it honestly um, because everybody has their reasons and it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And so the way I kind of dealt with like the feelings of guilt was I said the piece to my mother before it was published. So she would have time to yeah. accept it, read it, cry, yell, whatever she needed to do, and we can discuss it. Because those feelings were super important to me. And just having those words down on a page, just, it was, it was freeing, because I was like, there's no more secrets, there's no more lies, we're not going to do that anymore. And from then on, anytime I write something super personal about my adoption life, I always send it to my mother first, um, if it includes her. And I feel like just having that openness, even if she can accept it 100%, the fact that she's willing to read it and learn and see my perspective has helped kind of bridge that gap within us. And my dad, um, (laughs) like you mentioned, your, uh, uh, your mother's uh, biological mother's um, connection, my dad was a diehard Republican. And talking about race or anything like that was just like hitting a brick wall. So in yeah, Yeah. so in my family, uh, with him, I just had to kind of come terms that there were limitations to that side. And while I love my father, there was some deeply problematic uh, prejudices that he had. And um, there just comes a time, I feel like, in every transracial adoptee's life where like we can choose to address these things or we can choose to live with certain things up to a certain point and have boundaries. And um, that's a hard choice for any of us to make. And um, that's that's where we were at. And then, unfortunately, my, my father passed away uh, um, passed in September. Um, but... Thank you. But just being able to talk yeah. and having these resources, yeah. I was able to show them other adoptees videos and stuff. It just yeah. it helped. It did help, even though my father didn't completely understand the fact that he was willing to listen some of the time that that oh, did make I'm a difference. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. I, that, that sending that first draft or, or the first article, the HuffPost piece to your mom, that must have been a huge a huge moment for you, oh, I would yeah. imagine. I, I haven't, <laughs> yeah, wow, I would have been terrified. I I have not played any of uh-huh. the music that's already completed for my adoptive parents, but I think I've always been really, uh, like, private in that way. Like, like, the things that I created were mine, and that was really precious to me, and I think I have a hard time sharing that um, with them, so... The knowledge that my adoptive parents have now is that I'm working mm-hmm. on a new project under a different name, and it's all about like my adoption and and uh, the journey as it's still evolving. So that'll be an interesting <laughs> day. When I'm yeah, ready. yeah, I can I can imagine because like it's hard to choose what you want to share and what you don't, and especially being so vulnerable is is difficult. Yeah. Uh, f- I don't know if I'm great at it, um, if I'm being honest. I'm like, in general, I'm a Pisces. I'm a pretty, yay, yay water signs, okay. Um, yeah, so I'm a I'm a pretty out there, kind of go with my flow, uh, kind of. <laughs> um, 
so I don't think I have like any like rituals or things that I always do, but um, music really grounds me. Expressing my life and following it through sound is <laughs> is my like therapy, you know? As yeah, as I'm sure writing is for you and you know, everybody has their own like vices, right? Um, so it really helps me to put on music I like when I'm like back at the house with my family to just kind of like fill in the gap. And there's usually always music playing in, in my house in one way or another. And I kind of, I try to allow, especially with this project when things unexpectedly come up, um, just uh, to be gentle with myself and allow myself to just mm. kind of like settle, settle back in. And that's that's a daily reminder. Like, yes, yes. I'm always like telling myself, yeah. like, "Oh, have grace. Yeah. Like, you're just human. <laughs> just take it day by day." Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are you able to talk about the project with yeah. your friends and family that in your life over there in Switzerland? Uh, do you share more with them, or are you still just keeping big? Okay, I definitely share more. Yeah, yeah, I definitely share. I like for me, chosen family has always been a, a huge, a huge thing for me, and I've always had like a handful of people yeah. that were like my ride or die. <laughs> um, and they absolutely have been here as well. A lot of my friends here are um, other people of color, other queer people of color, other singers. Um, and it's been, they've been super supportive. And for most of the people I've told, like the new project, it's, I used to be Sam when I'm letting them know these things. Um, well, when I'm telling them about the project, they all had like a physical reaction to it. They're like, yeah, this is it, Annie. Like, this is, this is what you're, sh this is what you should be doing now. Mm. So it's been, it's been really, really wonderful. I'm super thankful to have that here. That's awesome. Yeah. I think a support network is so, so important. And just being able to share that with other people who kind of get it. And um, growing up, were you in a diverse area or, uh, did you have to like <laughs> find that as you're older? Um, uh, well, I was like in Boston or uh, almost Boston, literally like the end of my street is Boston. So it, I technically was not in Boston, but I was so close that it wasn't even yeah. like a suburb. Um, uh, no, there it was like a, there was a big Jewish community mm -hmm. where I grew up. Um, and then there was, the the like random white parents that had adopted kids <laughs> usually of color so there was like a small very small group of us and we're like hey we're okay cool um <laughs> but growing up my brother and i both navigated toward uh the black community and the like latinx community of like people we found people that looked like us for the most part because that wasn't reflected yeah. in our homes and there was no no effort on my adoptive parents parts to like try to immerse me in any way in um, mm -hmm. our community so i think we like subconsciously were um giving yeah. it to ourselves yeah i i think that's so important yeah. like when i went off to college and then uh like now as an adult like i definitely make it a priority um uh, i just feel like it's easier to be understood um, growing up, I had a lot of white friends and like their experiences never quite matched mine. And it was just like always this yep. weird unspoken thing. And um, I have a lot of friends uh, who are, are people of color in the adoption community and just having people get what it's like is just it just feels like relief. It's just like, oh, I don't have to explain how it's a thing. They get it. They've lived it. They see me. I see them. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's beautiful. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Even my, my friend's mothers. Uh, so I, my adoptive mother cut my hair off um, for the first like years of my life for me because it was too hard to handle. And I remember we'd like, I would like end up when I did get to grow my hair out when I, I mean, like fought to grow yeah. my hair out, you know, um, it would, I would have no idea how to take care of it. And I remember we would just like put on movies and my mom would just like dump not correct conditioner into my hair and just like try Yank. to get the dreads yeah. out. Basically like just like a unidread in the back of my head, you know? And so I remember like going to friends' houses and they'd be like, what are, what are you doing with this? <laughs> you know? And so my friends' moms would do my hair. Like my brother, who's a lot darker than me, would get really ashy. He didn't know to yeah. put on lotion, you know, or when to put on lotion. So like our, our friends' communities are the people that like help us take care of our yeah. bodies, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I feel like that's beautiful in its own way because it's uh, you have that experience and you have someone helping you out. I, I I remember like my mom when I was in like elementary school, she would just slick it back in the tightest ponytail possible because like I don't have super curly hair, but I have like wavy curly hair. So like I like you, I'd have this knot in the back of my head all the time and she didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. So I was just in this like ponytail and I get headaches all the time and I feel like people mm -hmm. don't understand white people don't understand how important hair yes. hair is um in, in yeah. our culture um just being Latinas and just our appearances are a big part of our lives and um I've yeah. been trying to learn how to do curly hair for the past like year and a half and I, like sometimes I get it right and other times it's just like giant frizz ball <laughs> yep. yes. my hair dried really weird a little small today and uh, you know but it's a <laughs> surprise it's a surprise every day yeah, every exactly every day yeah my hair's still wet so we'll see we'll see I put a bunch of gel in it but yeah <laughs> um so what back back to the project what are you looking for in terms of including other adoptees in it yeah so as i was making this project it like occurred to me oh maybe there's other like projects on adoption why don't i like check out social media and that's <laughs> and i feel like embarrassed that it took me so long but that's when i discovered your instagram page that's when i discovered a lot you know a lot of other i am adopted like a lot of other um, pages and projects that are out there of people sharing their stories and it was so impactful for me to know how many of us are out there and how many of like everybody has their own stories and experiences but also the like themes that go through so many of our stories it's like heartbreaking and uplifting that it's it, people are reaching out to each other now yeah um, it's like really moving to me and so I was thinking, I was like, I, um, I'm so new to this and new to creating this, that the small little piece of platform I can like add, I want to be highlighting other TRAs and their experiences and their stories. And so after all the music was done for the first EP, new songs are being written now. Yay. Um, <laughs> uh, I was like, I need a visual aspect to this project. I didn't I think by seeing other people's stories and their faces, you start mm -hmm. to 
really understand how many of us are there. And I wanted us to be seen. I wanted us to be heard. Our stories are not heard. Every my my adoptive mother is very much an intellectual and read every like 80s 90s book on adoption written by white authors who like but I, you know yeah yeah <laughs> not very <laughs> useful not very useful no um, yeah and so um we need to be advocating for ourselves we need to be helping each other we need to be sharing what we have i might not have much but what i have is this little platform and so I want to add this visual aspect to my project where kind of through throughout the music or with each song that's released, I want kind of a collage of people's stories that they want to share or what they mm -hmm. wish people would know or really what they want to share and how they want to share it because it's it's our turn, you know? Yeah. And so and so right now I'm reaching out to people like I reached out to you um, and I'm I'm asking if if they want to be seen or heard in this way and with me. And if not, like I support you. I'm sending love. And if yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, um, and so at the end of this, when all the songs are released, we're gonna have about a 25, 30 minute kind of documentary, musical documentary of uh -huh. everybody's stories. Um as as an educational tool and and for me and hopefully others as a tool of like healing and kind of just reaffirming this community a little bit that sounds really beautiful and just powerful and i can just like picture it now um i, I feel like music reaches almost everybody like who doesn't like music and then just yeah. it can evoke so many different emotions and i feel like just including a bunch of diverse people's stories it will just yeah. make it even more powerful um so if you are an adoptee listening a transracial adoptee which again means you're a, a person of color adopted by white parents um if you want to join in on this project how do we contact you how do we get on all this yeah so um you can find me on social media at goodchild.annie at instagram that's my instagram handle and also i used to be sam I used to be Sam at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> please feel free to reach out. I'm also in the next week going to be putting up some other flyers and kind of easier ways to, uh, to, to get in touch, but I would love to hear from you. Yes. And I have a post on my Instagram. So as you guys know, I'm adoptee under a score uh, thoughts um, on Instagram. I have a little bit about her information, the project and her email written. If you didn't catch that, I'll put it in the show notes for you guys as well. And um, I'll probably be sharing more about it because I am super stoked about this project. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Is there anything else about this that you want to let us know? Um, I think I feel very much that I'm at the beginning stages of this. So there's going to be more music um, for, for sure. And I'm really hoping that at some point this project snowballs till we get to a point where people can just um, like put in their stories on the website. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I want to be I want to be making some noise and I want to be making it with this community. So yeah. Yeah. That sounds so cool. It's just like an online scrapbook of adoptees. Yeah. And yeah. wow. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with your, uh, your singing and your work as a musical artist, what kind of music are you doing? Yeah, that's um, a weirdly hard question. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Um, I have a warm, soulful voice, although I do not make soul music. I think people usually want to hear genres, but uh, I would say in the last five years or so in the musical community, there's been a big pushback of genres are literally made for marketing companies so they know how to make money off of this music. Um, so I pull in from a lot of different genres. I think there's a kind of like a soulful folk foundation to what I'm doing, but I have very uh, cinematic and electronic production over that music. So if that tickles your fancy, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how did you break into the music community? Um, it's uh, such a random story. <laughs> so I was uh, about to be graduating from high school and I had not planned on going to college, at least not then. I did one semester at Berkeley College of Music, so hey-o. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was at this kind of like end of the year party and I met this girl, Amanda, and I was like, hey, I'm Annie, what are you doing in life? As one in high school does with no cares in the world. Um, <laughs> and she was like, um, I'm gonna go to college. I wanted to go to Guatemala because I have some family there, but nobody would go with me. And I was like, I'll go with you. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's go to Guatemala. And at the time I was listening to a lot of Pink Floyd and Queen with okay. Amanda. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it comes in later, I swear. So we ended up, I think like five weeks later, hopping on a plane um, and we went to Antigua, Guatemala, uh -huh. which is uh, a magical place. Absolutely, like, yeah, oh, I fell in love with it immediately. Um, and we were there, it was our first night walking around. Amanda did not know that I sang. I was too scared to sing in front of anybody. Like my hairbrush is new and that's Oh it. gosh, and look where <laughs> you're at now. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been really petrified. You know, like the thought of it, I was like, oh, you know. Um, and so we were there and we were walking around and we realized the streets are kind of blending into one another. It's getting dark. We were specifically told, don't be two females walking around yeah. alone at night. And we're like, oh, uh -oh. <laughs> where do we go? And then legitimately in the distance, we heard Pink Floyd playing. And we were like, follow the Floyd man. Like whoever's <laughs> listening to it can't be that bad. I do not recommend this. <laughs> Young listeners, don't follow oh, these footsteps. Okay. <laughs> so we walked into this bar called Cafe Nose, which means cafe, I don't know. Um, and it was a very international, like locals and international people. Like it was a tequila mezcal bar. Mm -hmm. um, they have their own mezcal brand now. Uh, it's called Illegal. Check it out, it's <laughs> delicious. Um, and there was an open mic playing there. There was an open mic like happening at this little cafe. And my friend who let's say was a big smoker, not drinker. Um, we had a few drinks cause we were of age in Guatemala <laughs> at the time. And, um, okay. So they were passing the guitar around, like, who's going to play next. And my friend's like, she will. And everybody like was like do it do it until i was like <laughs> and i like went up to the bar stool and like stared at the floor and played a three chord tracy chapman song like i mean i thought i sounded awful just like and the bar was totally silent and i was like oh my god this is the worst <laughs> and then afterwards everybody cheered really loudly and the owner of the bar john hey john um, came up and was like, hey, do you want like a weekly gig here? Ooh. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and that really, Antigua, like Guatemala really like birthed my music career. And within that week, I found uh, 
weird chick named Felix from the UK who played the singing saw and uh, double bass. Okay. And I met a Dutch man named Martin, who I ended up being in a band with who played guitar. And we started doing these sets. And then a bunch of other places in Antigua asked us to play. And we were playing like four or five gigs a week for almost four months, nice. <laughs> which was really like, I just got kind of pushed, pushed into the scene real hard. Yeah. And then I was hooked. I was in love and I haven't stopped since. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I like hearing <laughs> stories of how people like got into what they do. Um, especially mm-hmm. since like, I don't know, I just find it interesting what uh, adoptees like careers. Like my friend, she like works at a, a hospital, another friend, um, she's a writer. And then we have a nurse and it's just like all these different things yeah. um, that people can do and how sometimes we just fall into them. Um, yeah. And yet, it could be so healing too. Like, look, look how far you've gotten. And uh, that's just so cool. Um, I feel like a lot of us can sometimes feel lost at times as adoptees. I know you touched upon it before, like our identity. Um, mm-hmm. Have you been able to process it more or be more comfortable with your identity? Because I know for me, for example, I had a hard time like coming to terms and being able just to say I'm Latina. It took a while because, like, I just didn't grow up even, like, knowing or understanding. And then I felt like I didn't really have much knowledge of the culture at all other than what I've seen on TV and, like, heard stereotypes from people around me. And uh, it just felt like a weird place to be in because I was, like, too white to be accepted as Latina and then not white enough to still not be profiled and stuff when I went in stores and (laughs) so it was just like this weird way and then just like being Latina in general like you know leaking there could be white Latinas it could be whatever um I'm multiracial Mm -hmm. and it's just like there's that old complexity too that I couldn't even touch yet for years and it took like a lot of work a lot of integrating myself into the culture so have you um been able to like reclaim your identity or uh come yeah so um that's oh, that's a hard that's a hard question i i should also um specify my birth father is puerto rican i've actually found him and he's been amazing what? um and i got to meet my half siblings on that side i just got to meet my grandparents my um birth grandfather just passed away um but i feel so blessed that i got to meet him um two christmases ago which that that, that was really big yeah for me. like wow i came from these people, you know? Um, and on my birth mother's side, she's like uh, Greek, uh, Southern Italian, Middle Eastern, and Albanian, or, you know, that that part mm-hmm. of the world. Um, and growing up, uh, yeah, I mean, I had so many identity issues, but I had a very small little folder with the, the no medical history no yeah you know. yeah I know <laughs> um, but like some really small facts and and they, it said that like my grandparents uh from my birth father's side were from Puerto mm-hmm. Rico and so I like clung on to that so hard because I was like this is the only this is yeah. all I have you know um yeah so and and I knew that my brother uh was also Puerto Rican so I think we kind of tried to create our own our you know but yeah we 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 grasped at what we could yeah so I always identified that way um 
and everybody who speaks Spanish always immediately spoke Spanish yeah. to me. And I was like, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God, that was, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would say I'm really uh, racially ambiguous. Like uh, I, my skin tone changes a lot depending on the mm -hmm. season. My hair changes different textures depending on where I'm hormonally at, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and so identity was always a, a really big thing for me. And everybody always thought I was one of them. Maybe you experienced this too, but growing up, I think the number one thing people said to me was, what are you? What are you? Yeah. What are you? Yeah. I would be rich. I would be rich. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got, I got Indian a lot. Um, I definitely got like Hispanic, but they couldn't figure out like which type. Yeah. And it was like this game that people would play and it just be so awkward because I'm just like, I am Italian Portuguese. And then meanwhile, I cannot imagine. Oh, I really cannot imagine not knowing until I was nine. I, that's just oh, that's like overwhelming uh, to think about, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, I I know it's horrible to say, but like my mom says this because I feel like this is a way for her to cope. But she's always like, "Well, if it didn't happen, would you be where you are today?" And I'm just like, "Well, I don't know if we, I want to put it that way, but like I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah. Are you trying to help out?" But uh, <laughs> I yeah. feel like there there can be a lot of beauty that comes from trauma and our struggles yeah. and um unfortunately adoptees have a lot of experience dealing with difficulties um but i do like to see what can come out of it and how we can heal yeah. and how uh, we can help each other heal by just bringing what we have to the table and just being vulnerable and i think that's amazing yeah. and um again if you guys are interested because i know a lot of you um find power in sharing your stories please 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 reach out to annie um again i'll put her contact information in the show notes or you can just go to my instagram or her instagram um it's going to be an awesome project i can just feel it uh, and you don't want to miss being part of it um are there any last things that you want to let us know? Or um, I usually end by asking if you have any advice for adoptees or for adopted parents, um, whatever you yeah, want to do. Um, <laughs> maybe I can hop on a couple of those if that's all right. For uh, yeah. adoptive parents or people considering it, um, whatever you think you have to do, there is more. Educate yourselves, mm. do not educate yourselves by white authors. Educate yourself with people within the adoptive community, within the transracial adoptive community, um, and from people of color, from your prospective children's communities. Know how to do your kid's hair. Know how to take care of their bodies. Yes. You know, it's, I, I, uh, other traumas were there anyways, but that would have helped a lot. It would have helped a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, to adoptees uh, who've waited as long as I have to reach out and be part of this community, reach out, reach out to this community. You don't have to, as you said earlier, explain yourself, you know, unless you want mm -hmm. to, um, <laughs> unless you want to. And what, what else I want to say is just thank you to this insanely resilient community of people. Um, yeah, thank you. I've like got chills. 
really, it, it means the world to me that you're out there and that you're sharing your stories and have helped me be able to share mine. So thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for coming with us today. And um, maybe we can touch base later once you're further along in the project and we can share more information to um, our followers. Um, again, yeah. thank you for having I'm us. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can check out my website, adopteethoughts.com. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.